Hi everyone, I'm Christina Lingham from the PEGS Europe event. I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to speak with John Lambert, who is Executive Vice President Emeritus and Distinguished Research Fellow at Immunogen. He'll be talking about widening the therapeutic index, the next generation of ADCs in the plenary keynote session at the 9th Annual PEGS Europe Summit on Monday, November 13th in Lisbon, Portugal. John, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Can you outline what you consider to be some of the greatest obstacles to developing ADCs? I think the greatest obstacle, in my view, is actually identifying the right targets to go after. I think there has been an idea that the ADC technology is so powerful that it will work with almost any target. I think the experience has proven that that's not so easy as first thought. And tell us about your approach and what is unique about it. Actually, I think as we have learned, we think of targets in two ways. For our metansinoid technology, it's clear that target density as a surrogate for, in the end, target flux, how much antibody and payload, therefore, you can internalize into a cell is a critical factor. So we're looking at targets with extraordinary high antigen density on tumors. For example, our folate receptor alpha compound and in the past, our collaboration with Genentech, HER2, that is massively overexpressed on certain breast cancers. So I think these are the types of targets that the ADC technology is well suited for. What have you learned about the difficulties of bringing novel constructs to market? The difficulties bringing constructs to market. I think one of the main difficulties is understanding the relationship between activity and toxicity in animal models versus the activity and toxicities in humans. I think all too often it appears that compounds that work very well in animals, one in the end in human clinical trials does not get to the doses that one can get to in animals. And I think the relationship between toxicity in animals and then in humans is a very complex one and not easy to model. I think in part because ADCs, the toxic component that brings the toxicity, there are some elements to its pharmacokinetics and distribution that are like small molecules, and there are others where it behaves and distributes along with the antibody. And I think this relationship is very difficult to model going from animals to humans. So I think, to me, that's the biggest difficulty in understanding what constructs to bring forward into the clinic and ultimately be successful through the clinic. And do you have advice for people introducing new ADC products in the clinical setting? I think the advice is uh, at least our approach has been, notwithstanding the difficulties of trying to get at the toxicity side of the equation, spending a lot of time on that. I think to have ADCs that are well tolerated at doses where the plasma concentrations can give you anti-tumor activity is a critical thing. So we do our best with the tools that we have available before bringing them into the clinic. I would say a second important thing about successfully developing ADCs in the clinic is to select the patients well. And I think our experience has taught us that it's really important to already have a prototype assay for patient selection. And what I mean by patient selection, that is selecting those patients whose tumors express the target antigen at high levels. I think this is critical to the success of clinical development. What do you consider some of the most exciting new developments in emerging applications for ADCs? 
some exciting developments are the fact that they are now emerging as people have learned uh, compounds in late phase clinical trials for oncology applications. I can again cite our own Mervituximab Sorovtansin in platinum-resistant ovarian cancer, where the phase one expanded cohort data look very interesting, and we have started a phase three trial. I think looking beyond oncology, I think some of the interesting work to use ADCs to get at reservoirs of bacteria that are within cells and thereby evade therapy with antibiotics is an exciting possibility. And I think some of the other emerging applications can be to learn to modulate the immune response by damping down or eliminating subsets of immune cells and or delivering, instead of toxic compounds, immunomodulatory drugs. So there's some exciting new thoughts there, and it's still very early, but I look forward to these new applications of antibody delivery. Are you aware of ADCs which target both cancer-initiating cells and differentiated cancer cells? Yes, there have been a couple of ADCs that I'm aware of, and there may be more, where the primary rationale for the target was that the targets existed on cancer-initiating cells, also sometimes called cancer stem cells. 5T4 was one such target that Pfizer had an orostatin ADC, though that was discontinued in the clinic. More recently, stem-centrics AVI have taken an ADC to a target DLL3 into the clinic, and it's in advanced stage clinical trials now. The payload for this is the pyrolobenzodiazepine dimer, And some of the phase one work is now published, and the compound looks quite interesting. I would say, though, that the clinical activity neither proves nor disproves the hypothesis that going after cancer-initiating cells is actually one way of approaching ADC therapy. The clinical data that has come out suggests that the higher the antigen density or the higher the distribution of the target on the cancer cells, the better the activity, which suggests that actually overall distribution of payload into the cancer as a whole is also an important factor. So it's not clear whether the activity is really the elimination of initiating cells only or the overall effect on all of the tumor. What are the most frequent escape mechanisms tumor cells use to avoid destruction by ADCs? The clinical data for why patients who might respond for a while then stop responding, the clinical data for the reasons for that are few. Experimentally in preclinical studies, you can identify all sorts of mechanisms for resistance from loss of target to other things. However, my impression is that one has to remember that ADC therapy is really single-agent chemotherapy, albeit a targeted chemotherapy. And when one is treating in especially phase one populations of cancer patients. There is no treatment of cancer cells with single agent chemotherapy where the tumors don't eventually become, sometimes in short order, fairly resistant to payload. And so my sense is that the most likely escape mechanism is that there already exists in the tumors uh, cells that are more resistant to being killed by the mechanism of action of the payload at the concentrations that can be delivered by the ADC. So I suspect it's really clinically mostly resistance to being killed by the payload. How have perceptions shifted over the last three or four years on ADCs? 
Well, I think in the early 2010s, so in 2011 and 2013, when Cedris and then Cadsila were approved, there was a lot of enthusiasm and many ADCs were taken into clinical trials using many antibodies to many targets. Now, I think in the last few years, there was some discouragement about the lack of success of some of these ADCs. But I think what people learned is that one has to be more thoughtful about what targets to go after and perhaps what diseases to go after, thinking of the mechanism of action of the payload. For example, several several targets were going after colorectal cancer using tubulin agent payloads, the metansinoids or the orostatins. And yet tubulin agents as a class of payload have generally not been active in colorectal cancer. And one might not expect this to change just because you're delivering the payload or payload of these types via antibody delivery. So I think there is now maybe a new appreciation of some of these challenges to make sure you're targeting the right payload to the right disease and more thought given as to what targets to actually go after and how to assess preclinical data so that the compounds that enter the clinic are those with a higher probability of success. So I think perception has shifted now to really focus on target and target disease to make sure that the ADC is designed appropriately and is being developed appropriately in a space, a disease, that success is more likely. And one final question today. How can ADCs be combined with immuno-oncology approaches? Well, this is really exciting to me. I think the combination of ADCs and immuno-oncology was stimulated by the publications at the end of 2015 from the group led by Professor Zipelius in Basel in using in murine systems, syngenetic murine systems using TDM1 and immuno-oncology approaches using checkpoint inhibition. And so it does seem as if several of the payloads used in ADCs, payloads themselves can in fact activate directly the macrophage-derived dendritic cells that are found in tumors that are responsible for taking up antigen that tumors may have. Furthermore, because you're actually affecting some cell death, you're creating a flood of such antigens as the cells die. And so this combination of a flood of antigens and activation of the cells to actually take up these antigens and migrate to lymph nodes and present them to T cells can create activated T cells returning to the tumor. And here's where the checkpoint inhibition can then prevent those T cells from being blocked by the tumor from attacking them. And so I think this is a possibility for syngenate activity. And certainly this has led in the last year to some 10 or a dozen clinical trials with several ADCs in combination with several of the checkpoint inhibitors. And I really am excited by the prospects of this, turning what might be fairly short-lived responses into long-lived responses, which should be really of great benefit to patients. John, thank you so much for your time and insights today. Thank you very much for asking me to talk about this field. That was John Lambert, Executive Vice President Emeritus and Distinguished Research Fellow at Immunogen. He'll be speaking in the plenary session at the PEGS Europe Summit this November in Lisbon. If you'd like to hear him in person, go to pegssummiteurope.com for registration information and enter the key code podcast. I'm Christina Lingham. Thank you for listening.